0: all right Matthew 16 Matthew chapter 16 we're starting in here verse number one the Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting desired him that he should show he would show them a sign from heaven he answered and said unto them when it is evening you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red and in the morning it will be foul weather Today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it, excuse me, but the sign of the prophet Jonas, and he left them and departed. Now, you'll notice what's going on here. We've, he, he, he's basically bawling them out, and then he walked away from them. <laughs> and uh, what you have here is a picture of the unbelief in the nation of Israel. You have the unbelief there, and then you have the judgment of God on Israel because of their unbelief. He walked away from them. He departed from them. And uh, he departed from them they've rejected him, they're rebellious, they've been against him. And when you see here verse 1, the Pharisees also with the Sadducees. Now you see the whole of it, not just one group, but now we've got the two two of the of the major groups. Now again, going through Matthew, we've been we've been booking through Matthew here pretty good. Matthew doesn't put things in chronological order. Okay, because, again, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all have those four portraits that they're painting of the Lord, the king, the servant, the man, and who he is, God, deity, the Messiah. And as they're putting those portraits out, Matthew will kind of jump around. We've already seen it a little bit. John has, I mean, people try to harmonize the Gospels. You can't. Um, I've, I've read several guys who've tried, and it's hard to. OK, so and, and really like with John, he's presenting him as God. He's he's God, the Messiah, the son of God. This is who he is. He begins to look at it and he doesn't even use a, a, he only uses eight miracles that the Lord did to present the issue that he is the son of God. Matthew, again, isn't worried about the chronological order. He's rather the point here in the book is is that issue of here's the dispensational setting of Israel when the Lord is on the earth. They've rejected him. They've left him. And now he's dealing with them. So in the earthly ministry of Christ, we have this dispensational picture here in Matthew. Mark and Luke and John do other things. But in Matthew, in chapters 1 to 10, we've already seen where he has revealed himself to be their king. Then in chapters 11 11 to 13, we saw the rebellion against the king. And you see him refused and rejected. Now in chapters 14 to 20, we're in 16 here, Christ is beginning to withdraw himself. And so you see the retirement of the king. So you see the revelation of the king. You see the rebellion against the king. Now you see the, the retirement of the king. And then in chapters 21 to 27, you'll see him, you'll see them uh, in, in his rejection, where they're going to literally kill the king. And then in verse 28, you see his resurrection, okay? So you've got this picture that's being painted here. And right here now where we're at in Fort and sixteen is we're dealing with the the issue of the unbelief in the nation that's when we came down through chapter fifteen there and and we saw that issue about their moral character and their condition and that condition in the nation uh, and and their that issue of that, that heart of unbelief that they had, they weren't getting it. They, they actually have rejected him completely. He withdrew himself. He, he's, he's, been back, he's been withdrawing himself, and the multitudes have been following him, trying to catch him. Then he takes his disciples aside, and now he's beginning to train them. He's beginning to train them to replace the leaders of Israel, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians here, We'll see in a minute. And, he, and he's moving them to, he's moving away from the apostate nation, and he's training his disciples, the 12 specifically, but the little flock as a whole, to then take over that. It's your father's, if you're not little flock, it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom, to take the kingdom from that nation and put it over here to a nation, you guys. So you, you have this, this movement. When we were in chapter 13, when he started with the parables, and he gave the parables, you know, we looked at those three that he actually, uh, he, they asked him, why are you doing parables? He said, so you get it and they don't. Here's how you guys are going to understand it. And he went down and interpreted those parables for them. It wasn't so that anyone could come along and, and everybody get it, but rather it was an issue of, heard the keys <laughs> it was rather an issue of the little flock getting it and not that apostate nation here in Matthew 16 he's again backing away from the nation again and getting those apostles training he, he's abandoning in Israel and he does it in the person of their leaders okay Israel is a commonwealth. And as, a, as the leaders of the commonwealth go, then the people go. It, the leadership of Israel, the elders, he, he looks at Nicodemus and he says, aren't you a master in, of Israel and don't you know this stuff? Because Israel's leaders from the very beginning are the ones that are be, to be teaching the nation the, 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 the word of God. Okay? So he's leaving that apostate. He's abandoning Israel in the in, Again, in the person of their leaders, and yet at the same time, he's developing the new leadership. The new, the guys who are going to take over, the 12 apostles and the little flock. Verse 5, 16-5. Five. And when his disciples were come together, I'm sorry, were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Now he's going to go on, and now he's going to begin to instruct his disciples they've come to him, he's been training them, he's been teaching them. And really the rest of the passage on down through here is going to be him teaching uh, the disciples and to take the place of the the nation as they have rejected him. But notice verse 1, the Pharisees and also with the Sadducees. The Pharisees and the Sadducees come. They come tempting, desiring him that he would show them a sign from heaven. It's interesting. The Pharisees and the Sadducees hate each other. They don't like each other. But yet when it comes to withstanding against the word of God and against what God's doing, they, now they've come together. You know, keep your enemies closer than your friend, that type of thing. They're, they are going to now work together together. To, to defeat what Christ is trying to do. They they will they, they don't like each other. They oppose each other. They, they have completely opposite views of each other. And yet they're going to come together now and they're going to begin to work. And they're going to begin to, to work together to trip him up, to get him, and ultimately to kill him. And that's what they're going to do. Now, the Fadducees, phag- the, phag- the, phag- the Pharisees well, I'm trying to read my writing quickly here. The Pharisees are alm-giving, they're tithing, they're righteous, they're fasting, they're praying, Orthodox, long-robed fellows that are called Father, they, who believe in angels and spirits and in literal resurrection. I'd say that. What are they? They they have a, they, they they're all, everywhere. They're exact, I mean, they, if you want to see a modern day manifestation of this, look at the Roman Catholic Church. That's what they are, okay? They, they're Bible believers. They tote that book. They'll hit you over the head with it. That's why they're giving, They're tithing. They're righteous. They're fasting. They're, they, you know, they're, they're literal there. Uh, if you go over and you look in, in Matthew 23, we'll see it when we get over there. You, we've seen them in Luke, in our study in Luke 18. You see them in Acts 20. That's exactly who they are. Okay? The Sadducees, on the other hand, they are also alm-giving, almsgiving, tithing, righteous, fasting, praying. But they're the liberal. They're the skeptic. They do not believe in angels. They do not believe in spirits. They do not believe in a literal resurrection. <clears throat> they actually do, they, they, they're liberals. The Pharisees are fundamentalist, uh, conservative, if you will. Well, the, but the Sadducees are very liberal in their thinking. But yet they will come together, so they're on the totally opposite extremes of each other, but they're going to come together to stand in opposition to what Christ is doing here. Now, if you look here in verse 2, he says, He answered unto, by the way, they wanted them to show a sign from heaven. Okay, again, he just got done feeding 5,000. He just got done walking on the water. He just got done feeding another 4,000. He's been healing people. He's been doing all this stuff in their midst. They've heard about it. They've actually seen it. And yet, what do they say? Give us one more. We just want one more. So he turns turns on them. Verse 2. By the way, at this point, the Lord's done with them. He's been messing with, he's been dealing with them. Now he's fed up. I don't know if you've ever been that way with someone when you just say enough's enough. I'm not dealing. That's where the Lord is. I I tell you, this idea that the Lord is just some little Mickey Mouse, wimpy little Jewish guy is just ridiculous. He wasn't that way. Okay, He's here to do something very specific, and, and that is to raise up that little flock to, to redeem Israel, because through Israel is going to be the channel of blessings to the Gentiles. He's to fulfill and, and to do some things here. Now, he says, you know what? Enough's enough. I'm done messing with you. So he talks to him. Verse, verse 2. What is it? When it, when it is even, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red. And lowering oh ye hypocrites, see he's done dealing with them, you know first time i was I ever came to the valley, we were up here for a Bible conference, and I was watching the, it was November, so I was watching the news guy in the evening before going, and it was nice weather and this and that because November is a beautiful time. well, I came up over on a summer with A buddy of mine from California, he needed help to come over and get some stuff from his mom. So I came over. Well, it was July. Well, what's going on in July? It's what? It's hot. So the news, the weatherman said, guess what? It said all the way across the board, seven days. Hot. I go, that's the easiest job there is. How do I get that job? That's easy. It's hot. 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 You know, 105, 104, one, one. you know, it's hot. That's what he's saying. You guys are you guys are a bunch of dingbats out here. You say this and you say that, you know, we're talking about f- cotton and and farming and stuff. <laughs> when the the moon has a circle around it, what does the farmer usually say? It's going to rain. You know. Now you get in the city and what does the weatherman say? The barometric pressure has dropped and this and that. But the old farmer's out there, and he's like, my knee hurts. It's going to rain, you know. The the shoulder, yeah, there you go. That's what's going to happen, you know. You get the farmer's almanac, and it shows all that. That's what these guys are doing. Verse 4. I'm sorry, verse 3. Oh, ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but ye cannot discern, what? The signs of the time. You guys are a bunch of hypocrites. You can tell what's going on out there in creation around you and life around you. You're the leaders of Israel, but you don't have enough spiritual perception to know who's sitting right here in your midst. Because that's who he, discerning the signs of the times. Who's standing there? Who's there? Their Messiah is. Their king is. And they completely miss it. They are spiritually blinded. That's what's going on here. Verse 4 is a rebuke. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. (laughs) I mean, again, he's been showing them stuff since chapter 11, chapter 12. And what do they want? One more sign, one more sign. By the way, if you come back to chapter 5 of Matthew, Matthew, chapter 5. I'm sorry, 15, not five. See, I can't read my writing. It's time for an eye exam. Problem is, is you can't get in anywhere because they're all COVID shut down. It's ridiculous. So finally, I got an eye doctor that'll give me. Linda's work, she works for eye doctors. I said, hey, can you get me? And she's like, you're two months out. Because they can only see certain amount, you know, period during the day because of all the regulations. I'm like... I'll just go to Costco. I walked into Costco. First you gotta mask up, so I walked into Costco and their door was shut and said, call the number for an appointment. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> well, at least there was a lady sitting in the side, you know, working. I'm like, oh anyway. No, I don't like Sam's. Sam's and I don't go. We don't I don't deal with Sam's. 1518. Fifteen a wicked and adulterous generation. Look at fifteen. Matthew 15, verse 18. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed, and then that whole list there. He's already dealt with these guys. He's already produced that whole long list on them. And the thing of it is, and you come back into chapter 16 here, is these guys have completely, they're just completely dead spiritually speaking, They're blinded. They're off. They don't have have any understanding. They're they're completely gone. They're they're over there doing whatever they're doing. They're trying to get him to kill him. Then you come to verse 5, and when his disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. (laughs) They, They get on the other side over there, and even his disciples aren't focused where they need to be focused you know th- they go on a journey here you'd think they would have picked up the seven baskets of leftovers that he just got done feeding the 4,000 he just got done feeding the 5,000 with 12 baskets that's really theirs the seven leftover belong to the Gentiles okay to the world we saw that so now they think he's mad at them And they get over there, verse 6, Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. They are completely clueless to what's going on here. These are his disciples. He just looked up there at Peter, and Peter, when he was... Over there in verse 15, 15, 15. And he says, Then answered Peter and said unto him, Declare unto us this parable. And Jesus said, Are ye also yet without understanding? Peter thinks that what he just told him about the Pharisees and the hypocrites there was a parable, was figurative. The Lord says, No, Peter, that's literally what they are and who they are. Now he comes over here and he says, "We forgot the we forgot McDonald's. We didn't go through the drive-through, you know." I was went down the down to Tucson, south of Tucson yesterday, and uh, I was toting a trailer, so I couldn't pull through drive-throughs, you know. <laughs> well, I I can do it; it's just not really easy, you know. And and I was going down, and and I was like, "Man, I want to stop. I'm kind of hungry." So I found a truck stop when I got on down. <laughs> But they forgot the bread. They forgot everything. So now he's going... He's What this shows you is the disciples still needed instruction. They still needed training. They're not quite there. Verse 7, verse 6. Then Jesus said unto them, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have... Taken no bread, which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, Why reason ye among yourselves, because ye have brought no bread? In other words, they get to arguing amongst themselves, trying to figure out what's going on. Verse 9. Do ye not yet understand, neither remember the five loaves of the five thousand and how many baskets you took up? Neither the seven loaves of the four thousand and how many baskets you took I mean those things just happened but who produced all of that he did remember bring the five loaves and the little fishes the four, and then and then it was the disciples would come to him he would break the bread bless it and then they would take it out to the multitude and they repeated that process because he was the source of the provision They're sitting here arguing amongst themselves rather than looking at the man who just gave them the provision and saying, you know what, we didn't quite make it to Sam's Club. I don't like Sam's Club, but we didn't quite make it to Sam's Club to get stocked up, help us out, can you help us? They didn't do that. Verse 11, how is it that ye do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread? That ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisee and of the Sadducee. Then understand they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisee and of the Sadducee. They're confused. That's what this is. They are in confusion. Jesus tells them something, they didn't get it. They go reason amongst themselves, they get all confused, they get all bent out of shape. And rather again, verse 7, and they reasoned, uh, the problem is, is they reasoned among themselves. He says something to them about the leaven of the Pharisees, verse 6 there. They think he's talking literally about the bread when he's talking figuratively about verse 12 there, the doctrine of the Pharisee. So the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees is really the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. See, a little, uh, we'll look in a minute and Paul said a little leaven, leaveneth the whole lump. He's not talking, now when we've seen leaven already, but leaven in scripture, they were to make that bread without leaven and do all that in their, and then they could, then in, in, A little later in one of their festivals, they could have the leavened bread and so forth. So it it all represents something, and it's that issue of the doctrine here. He just told them they're not getting it. They're confused. When he spoke literally, they thought it was some spiritual truth. Then when he speaks about a spiritual truth, they take it as literal and again, the guys are in need. Come over to hold on here. Come over to Hebrews 4. They're in need of some instruction about what's going on. Okay. Again, Hebrews 4. He looked at the Pharisees and the Sadducees, called them hypocrites. He's done dealing with them. He's and by the way, from that point on in Matthew 4, 16, he's going to be curt with those guys. He's not going to put up with them. They're going to come up and try to trick him. He's going to cut them off at the knees. He's not gonna be he because he's moving on. You've rejected me. I'm out of here, and I'm gonna come over here and we're gonna establish my kingdom, my government, and so forth. These guys are in need of some instructions here. And what's going on here is a great illustration of, of about your Bible, about the Word of God. Um, Hebrews four verse twelve. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any what two-edged sword the bible can teach truth and give you understanding but it also can deceive you as well as edify you and when that happens the 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 book is a it's quicker than any two-edged sword piercing, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of your heart. And when you come to the book with a hard attitude of trying to figure something out honestly, being honest with the Word, then guess what it's going to do for you? It's going to teach you. But if you come out with a a hard attitude of looking for deception and twisting, and we're going to look Sunday about the faith of Christ, the faith of Jesus Christ, and that faith of and faith in. And what happens is, is people play the Greek game with that. And when they do that, it's real quickly, and the word quickly cuts that stuff down. But what happens is, is that's because they came with the heart of deceit. The They're looking to, for a twist so they can produce and promote a theology. Come back to, over there to Matthew 16. So when you, when you come to it with unbelief, It'll give you what it's look, you're looking for. But at the same token, it's going to give you enough rope to hang yourself, is what it'll do. When we, when we look back over where the Lord has brothers and sisters, half brothers, half sisters, you know, we looked at that in the past. There's a little verse over in Psalms that they haven't found where it talks about his brother, brothers and so forth and, and his siblings and everything. See, they haven't found that verse yet. I'm sure they have by now, but... Because if we keep talking about it, they will, you know, right? <laughs> but the thing is, is they just twist that stuff up because there's a theology in it. What these guys knew, Matthew 16 here, what they need is they need some more instruction. The issue here in all of this is, is their heart before the Lord. And that's really true in every age. It's not just in Israel here, but it's also for you and I today. These guys are having a little problem with that. So he's going to instruct them. Matthew 16, verse 7. They reasoned among themselves, saying, they should have started with Christ instead of themselves. So they started with wrong reasoning. And by the way, wrong reasoning is always where man begins. And when you operate in your viewpoint, just as these guys are doing, then usually the solutions are hard to find, <laughs> and you end up going in the wrong direction. So here, as he begins to do, deal with that, verse 8, and when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith. It's interesting, he just told the that, Hebrew, that Greek woman, the Syrophoenician woman over there, oh, what great faith you have. He turns right here to his followers and says, what little faith you have. She's operating, functioning purely on what the Abrahamic covenant has told her, learned. She's, she knows where the position she's to be in, under the table, the dogs. And these guys are struggling, going, oh man, he's worried we didn't, get, we didn't bring a basket of food with us. They're not getting it. There's a disconnect here. So he says in verse 8 there, oh, you have little faith, why reason you among yourselves? Because you have... Brought no bread. You guys are worried about not having bread. And, I, and, and again, <laughs> all they had to do was say, Lord, we, don't, we forgot the baskets. And he'd have said, that's okay, here. And they would have been there because of who he is as their provider, as their Messiah. So what does he do, verse 9 and 10? He reminds them of that. Don't you remember the 5,000? And the lo- how many baskets you took? Verse 10, the seven loaves of the 4,000. He, he's reminding them there about what he just did in front of them. I just fed 5,000 and 4,000. You guys were there. What are you guys worried about? Look at what I'm doing here. Listen to me. Come to me. Come to me. Don't, don't be wondering about what's going on out there. Come over here where I'm at and be here. When he walks out in the water there and Peter goes out, you know, as soon as Peter took his eyes off of him, what did he do? He began to sink and the Lord reaches out and snags him and everything's good to go. Verse 12. Then understood they how that he bade them not... Beware of leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. They understood as soon as they looked to him instead of themselves and their own situation, their own problems, you know what they did? They got it. That's what verse 12 is saying. You guys worried about stuff you shouldn't be worrying about? This is what I was talking about? They're like, oh, Okay, we got it. The issue there of the leaven, of the doctrine of the Pharisees. When you talk here about leaven and, and so forth, the leaven is defined for you there in the end of verse 12. But of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And again, we've talked about leaven in the past. It's, it's the issue of evil doctrine. That's what we're talking about. Come over to Luke 12. And, 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 and really what, what's happening here is the, the fact that really this whole section here uh, in, in Matthew, is he's warning these disciples about the devices, Luke chapter 12, that the adversary is going to use against the truth. And we've seen that time after time where he'll talk here about this and then he'll run way over here. He's going to do it in a minute down here when he asks Peter, who do the people say? And he brings up Jeremiah. And I don't know if you've ever wondered why he brought up Jeremiah. Well, there's a reason, okay? But he's used this stuff all along here in Matthew where he says, hey, beware of the doctrine of the Pharisees because out there in the future you're going to need to know about this stuff. And he looks over here and says, hey, this, remember, over here. And he moves them. Again, he's training them for that occupation, their job in the early Acts period is what he's doing. Um, If you look here in Luke 12, when you talk about the doctrine of the Pharisees and then the doctrine of the Sadducees, that little flock, especially the leadership, need to be equipped against these things, so they need to understand what he's talking about, 12.1. Luke 12, verse 1. In the meantime, when they were gathered together, an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is, what? Hypocrisy. So what is the doctrine of the Pharisees? Hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that shall be revealed, neither hid that shall be known. Hypocrisy, the issue of false living, living a lie. That's hypocrisy, being a hypocrite. That's why he calls them, O ye hypocrites. False living is the leaven of the Pharisees. (coughs) The Pharisees, they, 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 they had, Paul over there tells Timothy, they have a form of godliness and denying the power thereof. Formalism, that's what it is. The Pharisees is that outward show of religion, of all the almsgiving, the tithing, the righteous, the praying, the fasting, the orthodox, the religious titles, all of that stuff that they had, but they had no heart. Okay? Okay? he calls them a white sepulcher and dead man bones inside. That's the issue. That's the RJ version. Okay? Again, you guys look real good outside. You smell right. You sound right. You taste right. But inside, you're nothing but a pile of dead man's bones. That's the leaven of the Pharisees. Simply, it's just formalism that outward thing okay now come back over to Matthew 22 here's the 11 of the Sadducees Matthew 22 when the Lord lays this on these guys he doesn't leave them just what does that mean he's he's teaching them Matthew 22 23 Matthew 22 23 by the way, you can see a lot of the Pharisee formalism in religion today, don't you? This isn't anything new under the sun. That's the thing about it, it just takes different forms. That's why when we've studied the issue of Baal worship, start back there in Cain in Genesis 3, run all the way down through, I'm not Genesis 3, Genesis 4. You see that issue of Baal worship, and they got the father, the father titles, they've got the long robes, they've got all this stuff, and everybody goes, oh, Roman Catholic. No, that stuff's been going on since day, day 8, <laughs> I don't know, Genesis 4, okay, a few days later, all right? And it's just been the issue of Satan coming in and saying, I man was created to worship someone or something. I should have been the creator, but Satan marred that. So what is, I, I think about Satan sitting there watching Adam and Eve. And he goes, I can fix this guy real quick. And he goes over and talks to Eve. Boom, got him. Now you got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all that going on. Then he sees this nation come out of Egypt and he goes, I can get them too, watch this, real fast, and puts up a competing religion. Calls it Baal worship. Judges, it's introduced into Israel through Micah, not the prophet Micah, but Micah and, and through the tribe of Dan. Boom, there it is. He goes, I got them. I just make a religion that looks real close to the real deal, but it isn't the real deal. Solomon dies off, and Rehoboam and Jeroboam, they split up. They rend the power of, of Israel, ten tribes to the north, two to the south. And you know what, it, what the basis of that was? Jeroboam saying, you guys don't need to go to Jerusalem to worship. Go down here to Bethel and the Dan. Get a church in your own hometown, and you can worship there. You don't need to go down three times to Jerusalem. And what literally Samaria... That's the northern ten tribes did, was they rejected the authority that God had placed in Jerusalem. So we're not going down there. That's why the Lord tells his twelve, don't go to the Gentiles and don't go to the Samaritans. You only sit here. We've got to get Jerusalem fixed first. Then we'll go. You follow that? that's all he's doing here we just put a little religion in there so then you and I come along and he goes I can fix the body of Christ too I know I can't get them out of Christ but I'll just throw up a competing viewpoint and we'll call it a legalism mixed in with grace and we'll get you over here thinking you can do whatever you want and you and you see Paul talk about we'll use fancy words and Colossians 2 is wonderful four four point attack there that he displays and We just get you real quick. You got Matthew 22 now, right? All right, verse 23. All that was just to get you so you could get there. Verse 23. The same day came to him the Sadducees would say that there is no resurrection and ask him. Saying, Master, Moses said if a man die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now the Sadducees say that there are people that don't believe. Okay? And again, these guys are you, you used to call them modernists, today they're liberals. They're materialist. Look at what they don't believe in in verse 23. That there is no what? Resurrection they believe in materialistic humanism they believe that it is man that is all and that he's the issue and that's all that there is and that's what we focus on and I'll be honest with you that is just what liberalism is period no matter whether it's religion or politics or any of it we got a bunch of liberals running around today and what do they say man is the he's the top guy and what man says is what we're going to do, and it's going to be man that's going to be able to pull himself up, and it's going to be man that's going to fix his own and be his own goal and his own everything, and uh, he's going to fix everything. And we don't need God; we're just going to do it our way. That's a that's what the Sadducees. And again, if you, I, I, <laughs> I, I, it was interesting we were talking one time this is years ago and if you take the word conservatism and liberalism and look them up in the dictionary politically they are opposite of each other a conservative politically is a liberal according to the definition in the dictionary and a liberal is a conservative according to the definition in the dictionary but politically they you know do all this with it but what is a liberal at heart Man's God. He'll take care of himself. He is the basis of everything. He's the one that's going to do it. Now, if you ever want to remember what the Sadducee believes, it's there in verse 23. They say that there's no, they don't believe in angels. They don't believe in spirits. They don't believe, they believe you die, you're dead like a dog, and that's it. There's no afterlife. There's no resur- They believe that there's no resurrection. And because they believe that there's no res- resurrection, therefore they have no what? Hope. So they are sad, you see. Okay? So I, 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 that's an easy way to remember it. We are not as those that sorrow have without a hope. We have a hope. Okay? But these guys have no hope. Now, there's one other group... Mark eight that is also here. Uh, It's not brought up in Matthew, but they are in in the picture. Mark eight and verse fifteen. You see, folks, this this is the group of people that these guys are dealing with—the little flock, the believing remnant, the twelve. They're going to be dealing with them in time, but also out there in the future. You go up and you read Revelation 2 and 3 and the overcomer verses, and what these people are going to go through, the believing remnant is going to go through because of the Pharisees and the Sadducee groups and the Herodians here. Uh, Mark 8, verse 15. Then he char- charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. And not talking about the, the Herodians. And the Herodians were a sect, part of Israel, the leadership, that were strictly involved in politics and in the worldliness, (coughs) excuse me, and in political corruption, okay? So you've got one group that has the religious formalism. They have the form, just no heart, no reality. Then you've got another group that has human viewpoints. They're materialistic. And then you have the other group that's worldly, has the worldliness. They're just caught up in the things of the world. They're just going along with the system. They're trying to make the best of it they can. But they're in for that power. Okay? Now, come over real quick, the 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 5 Starting verse 6. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6 Your gloring is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump. Are ye as ye are unleavened? For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed. Therefore let us keep the feast not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Paul talks about the leaven of the Corinthians there. (coughs) And the leaven of the Corinthians has to do with immorality, because if you drop back up there to verse 1 and and so forth of what's going on in their midst, that uh, that, uh, one should have his father's wife, then uh, that's not good either. Galatians chapter 5. Here's another one. Here he's going to talk about the leaven of the Galatians. And if you know what the book of Galatians is all about, that's the leaven of legalism, where it's mixing law and grace. Um, The leaven of the legalism is is the absence of grace in the dispensation of grace. (laughs) It actually comes from a failure to rightly divide the word and to stand uh, in that program that we're in today. Uh, Galatians 5, verse number 9. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And that comes after him just telling them in verse 6. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. Then you go back up there to verse 1, and they're back underneath that yoke of bondage. So you've got that issue there. Now go back to Matthew 16. So in here, in Matthew 16, what he's doing here is he's exposing he's teaching them of the methods specifically the pharisees and the sadducées and the herodians as these guys are, are going to be the instruments the tools that the adversary is going to use to oppose the work in the nation of Israel what's going on there they first are going to have a form formalism all, they have all the forms of religion, the sacrifices, the activity, and all of that, but no heart, just the tradition, and it's exactly what they're doing. Okay, Then you're going to get down there, and you're going to get over there, and then you're going to end up with, with the other group, which is just a bunch of, of uh, the intellectual, Okay, the, the, the issue there of human viewpoint. And you got the intellectual branch, as Dad calls it. (laughs) And they're going to sit there and they're going to just kind of, they can't get out, they just end up sitting in a circle going, what are you thinking, what are you thinking, and not coming to any conclusions about truth. So you end up having that liberal mindset just run about we can all just figure this out. Then if that doesn't work, you just go out there and join the world, the Herodians, and be a part of that and don't worry about it. So there's a a lot going on here that the Lord's getting. It starts with him bawling out the Pharisees and the Sadducees and then moving over here and really kind of directing with the loving, tender hand of his, his disciples. Verse 13, Matthew 16, 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, whom do men say that I, that I, the Son of Man, am? In other words, he's going to move now from telling them, Hey, guys, you should have been thinking about me and, and, and what I've been telling you. And why didn't you come to me? Why didn't you think about coming to me? I could have taken care of you. Now he's going to move over here and start telling them. He asks them, What, the men, who, what do men say I am? Who do men say I am? You guys have been paying, you know, you think about, you've been on Facebook. You know what everybody's saying out there on Twitter. What do they, who do they say that I am? Verse 14. And they said, some say, thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and other, Jeremias, or one of the prophets. So the common report, the common opinions of man, of, 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 of who of christ first of all they knew he was somebody notice that some say you're john the baptist elijah or jeremiah or one of the other guy other prophets. they know he's somebody they just haven't quite figured out who he is even herod thought he was john the baptist raised from the dead (laughs) okay they say no he's elijah By the way, you you could understand why they said John the Baptist. You can understand why they say Elijah. Malachi 4 over there, he's going to be one of the two witnesses coming back. But that issue about Jeremiah is rather interesting because there's something that's happening here. I need you to get three passages. okay? Revelation 12, Jeremiah 1, and Lamentation 4 we'll go to Revelation 12 first. Revelation 12. Go there first. Jeremiah 1 and Lamentation 4. And the issue... Yeah, Lamentation 4. And the issue here about why... I always looked at that and go, Man, why did he say Jeremiah? And what happens is... Is when you begin to study the prophetic scriptures, and then you kind of you see some things you stick it in the back of your head for one of those aha moments. If you don't, I do, and you should. Okay, but the thing is, is what you begin to see is you begin to get some information about things that these guys already knew. If they're saying Jeremiah, they know this. They're aware of this information already, okay? Revelation 12, verse 5. And she brought forth a man-child who was, who, who was to rule all nations with the rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God to, the, to his throne. Now, when you read all the commentaries or you listen to all the preachers out there, they will say that the man-child is Jesus Christ, Okay? I won't tell you it's not. Come back, if you will, to Revelation to chapter one. Revelation one, verse three. Revelation one, verse three. "Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of what? This prophecy. keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand." So what is the book of Revelation? It is prophecy. It is not history. Okay. Come over to chapter 4. Let's put some things together. Chapter 4, verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither. I will show thee things which must be, what, hereafter. Come up hither, I'll show you things which have already, what, happened? No. It's a future, isn't it? It's not here, it's not now. So when the Apostle John wrote Revelation, was it before or after the ascension of Christ? After. Okay? So the thing in 12.5 takes place after the ascension of Christ. That's not the birth of Christ. And it's not the ascension of Christ either. Some have said that. So when you come back there to 12.5, it's rather a, it's a tribulation reference. It's, it's a reference of prophecy. When you study when 12.5 and, and here happen, it happens in the midst of the 70th week of Daniel. When you go back into Daniel 12.6, And the woman fled into the wilderness, which she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there 1,203 score days. That's 1,260 days. That's the back half of the, tri- of the 70th week. There was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. So that is talking about the last half of the tribulation, that last three and a half years in verse 6. But this man-child is caught up in the middle of the tribulation. Now, that man-child issue is a very interesting issue. Uh, We've kind of had conversations about that. But what I want you to notice, come back to Jeremiah 1. Because, they again, they they say it's Christ, and they go on and on, but they never pay attention to the prophets and to the Old Testament. Because what happens is, is Jeremiah is going to talk about the man-child He's actually literally a type of that man-child. Look at Jeremiah 1, verse 4. Then the word of the Lord came, I'm sorry, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee, and before thou comest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. You go down later in Jeremiah, and he's the Lord sends him out to the nation. To tell them about the judgment of God coming on them. Verse 6. Then said I, Ah, oh, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a what? A child. Now, is he a child or is he a man? He's a grown man, but so what is he? He's a man-child. Okay? Come over to Lamentation 4. Hold on, we'll, just, we'll get there, put this together. Lamentation 4. Lamentation 4 verse 19 By the way, who wrote Lamentation? Do you know? Jeremiah did, okay? <laughs> Trick question. <laughs> Not really. Lamentation 4:19 Our persecutors are swifter than the eagles of heaven. They pursued us upon the mountains. They laid wait for us in the wilderness. All of that compares to what happens to that little flock in Revelation 12. So where are we talking about here? Revelation, the, that tribulation time period. Okay? Verse 20. The breath of our nostrils. The anointed of the Lord. Do you remember what the word anointed means? Christ. Christ. Anointed, we'll see it in just a minute in John 1. Christ, Messiah, was taken in their pits, of whom we said, under his shadow, we shall live among the heathen. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, that dwellest in the land of Uz. The cup also shall pass through unto thee, Thou shalt be drunken and shalt make thine self naked. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter. That isn't Christ. That's somebody out there in the tribulation, that believing remnant in the tribulation, who leads those people into that tribulation and they are called a man-child verse 21 notice it carefully do you remember who lives in the la- who lived in the land of uz come over to job chapter 1 job chapter 1 job 1 verse 1 there was a man in the land of uz whose name was job there's 42 chapters in the book of job 42 months on each side of that 70th week, when you break it down. But specifically, Job's persecution pictures the back 42 as they go through great tribulation. Come over to Job 3. Job 3, verse 3. Job 3, verse 3. Look at what Job calls himself. Let the day perish when I was born, and the night in which I, it was said. There is a man-child conceived. He cries out, talking, and calls himself a man-child. And again, you can take that, come on back to Matthew 16, and you can begin to run with it. And you can run that thing all the way back down, that man-child works out to be that believing remnant in the tribulation. And 144,000 are involved in it. And what begins to happen is is in Matthew 16, when he asks, who do they say I am? And somebody brought up Jeremiah. Because Jeremiah is a type of that man-child. And, he, and they understood something back in Matthew 16 about Bible prophecy, that they understood that in their own prophecy that there was going to be a group of people that are going to work and run down through that tribulation. And that man-child, again, in Revelation 12, it'll, it'll, it'll work out to be the 144,000 because they're caught up. It, it, they're going to equal out in activity what the 12 apostles do in the, in the early Acts period. Same activities, same ideas and so forth. And we've seen some of that. But when you stop and you take a minute and you f- try to you know, turn the TV off or get off of social media, <laughs> you begin to work this stuff down in Matthew 16 here when, when, he, when they said, Somebody and others, Jeremiah and one of the, or one of the prophets, and again, Malachi 4 and Deuteronomy 18 and so forth, you work down through there and real quickly you begin to understand that these people weren't dumb rocks. They actually understood their Bible prophecy a lot better than some of us do. And it would be best just to be quiet and move on, okay? Now, get back to Matthew 16. We've got time's almost up. Verse, um, verse 15, Matthew 16, 15. Uh, and, and again, by the way, you look over there in Isaiah 66. The 66th book equals out, relates to... Isaiah has 66 books. Every chapter in Isaiah, even the 13 chapters that cover Paul's epistles, has a corresponding issue in Isaiah that it does in the book. Now, with Paul's epistles, Romans to Philemon, they were kept secret. All that information's kept secret till Paul. But you can read through those chapters that correspond with Romans, and you'll see God's grace to the nation of Israel. You'll see God's mercy. You'll see all these things that when you go read like Romans, you go, wow. How, how does that happen? Because you'll see the spirit of it. You'll see the flavor. Well, how did it happen? You had a divine author. That's how it happened. In the 66th chapter, it corresponds with the book of the Revelation. Verse number 7 there, it it says, Before she travailed, she brought forth. Before her pain came, she was delivered of a man-child. That's going to correspond out there in the Revelation. What's happened, that nation, that 144,000, births that 144,000, they go out and duplicate what the early Acts period was just out in a future of us time frame anyway you work that through okay give you something to think about i've always thought wondered what jeremiah was doing in the list there's a reason it, it goes back to that issue again he's training them teaching them about the coming tribulation time You're going to have to deal with the adversary. He's going to use the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians. He's going to use all of this to get you guys down, but don't get down. Understand what's going on. Get through it. Now, they have no clue about the interruption coming. (laughs) Okay? These guys are preparing to go through. You read Acts, the first seven chapters. They have no clue Paul's coming. They have no understanding of that. They're clicking along like just as if the tribulation is right coming down the pipe. And actually, when Stephen looks and sees the Lord standing, that's prophetically right where it should be. It's time for him to come back and pour out wrath. That's why you read in chapter 8, when Philip goes to the Ethiopian, the Gentiles are ready to hear the, the word. He goes to the Samaritans. They're ready to hear the word. But Jerusalem has nobody in it but the apostles. Jerusalem is dark. So, where is the, so the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be intensified upon Jerusalem to bring the light. Those two witnesses, Moses and Elijah, they're going to work in Jerusalem. That's where they work. They're going to, boom, there it is. Anyway, 1615. He saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? So let's get out of public opinion now. And let's find out what you guys think. Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. <clears throat> he don't, Peter, oh Pete, don't miss a beat. He steps right up. Well, I know who you are. You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Verse 17, And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon bar for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Now, if you got a direct revelation from the Father, which Peter did, you have no hesitation to say who he is. <laughs> You're not going to worry about it, okay? Notice what Peter said there in verse... Oh, man, I'm just trying to see if we want to keep going or just we'll pick up here next time. Because this is critical. This is a critical passage right here. Um, Peter says, uh, come over to John 1. He says, uh, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Lord asked him, Whom do men say that I, the Son of man, am? Okay, verse 13. Then Then Peter says, You're what? You're the Son of the living God. So the Son of Man and the Son of God are equal in the passage. i have got to catch that. They both are a reference to Israel's Messiah. Come Look over at John 1. Just catch this, and then we'll pick up here with this. John 1, verse 41. John 1, 41. He findeth... He first findeth his own brother Simon, and said unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted <clears throat> the Christ. How do you know the word in Messiah and Christ mean the same thing? Great Greek lesson right here. The verse says it <laughs> in English. <laughs> I didn't need the Greek. <laughs> it's right here. All right? It's very fascinating. Messiah, you go back to Psalms 2, anointed one. You look at that passage in Acts 4 where it's cross-referenced, and he's called Christ. Okay? Verse 42, and he uh, brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is being interpreted a stone. Now, back in Matthew 16, hold on to John 1. He just said to, to, to Peter, in Matthew 16:17, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah. For flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven... John one he changed his name to Cephas, and what did Cephas mean? a stone sixteen seventeen your 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 name is Bar Jonah, okay Bar. then in verse eighteen and I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my so you got a lot going on here i I'm really debating how far I to go with you. <laughs> Okay, because I, I think we'll just pause here and we'll pick up next time because we're, you know, it's ten after eight. Yeah, she's going to sleep on me over here. <laughs> it, what you have here is you have Simon, that issue of Bar-Jonah, okay, the the, the issue of the son of Jonas, Jonah, that's what 142 called him, okay, Simon in the flesh the son of Jonah When you are in the flesh you can't call he didn't call him the son of the living God in his flesh He calls him the son of the living God because the Father revealed that to him verse back in Matthew 16:17 for the flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto you by the way you remember somebody else that the flesh and blood didn't reveal to Paul you go read Galatians 2 Galatians 1 where he says, hey I got this right and I didn't get it from man I received it I received it right from the Lord okay the revelation so same idea okay. All right, let's pick up in these verses here next time because, again, my mind, I'm just, if you notice, I struggle, kind of struggle here a little bit because there's so much going on here, I want to unpack it right for us. Because when you notice, he says, Upon this rock, thou art Peter, and upon this rock, I will, that rock is Christ. we look at that. But notice it says, Upon this. Upon the statement of Peter that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. There's the rock. Upon that statement, I'm going to build my my church. The Lord's going to build his church. It's not Roman Catholicism. okay? So upon this, upon the statement there in verse 16 of him, Thou art the Christ, the Son of... Thou art the Christ we'll go we'll go back in Deuteronomy where he talks about their rock and your rock okay capital r little r all of that when he says upon this rock again he's reaching back up to what he just said and declared to him in that revelation that's coming out of coming from the father and we'll talk about all that next time okay just kind of catch what's going on he's he's done with dealing with Israel the leaders now he's teaching that little flock the 12 apostles, okay, getting them ready. Because in verse 21, Matthew 16, from that time forth began Jesus to show unto his, de- unto his disciples how he's got to go up to Jerusalem and be killed. He hadn't said a word about going to Calvary yet. And now, right after this interaction with Peter and the establishment of his church is going to be on that little flock and, and the kingdom church and so forth, Verse 19, he's going to give them the kings of kings the keys to the kingdom of heaven. By the way, you're the body. We don't have key. There's no keys to the body. You're the body. We've got keys. That kingdom's got twelve gates around. You need a key to get in the gate. He's going to have the key. They'll have the keys to get in. So got a lot of pictures, a lot of typology going on there. But you'll notice in verse 21, now he's going to go talk about having to be killed and raising from the dead the third day. So we have a whole shift that's going to happen here now because now Jesus is looking at educating the 12 apostles, the little flock, and then moving back down the coast, if you will, to Jerusalem to be delivered. And uh, he's going to do it, and it'll happen rather quickly. And for us, because we've spent so many years in Luke and in John, digging out the details, okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the evening, Lord. We thank you for the study. And above all, Lord, we thank you for who we are in your Son. We give you the praise and the glory for that. In your name we pray. Amen.